You're listening to Kitchen Table Finance. Join Dave Shotwell and Nick Nauta as they cut through the complexity of financial planning and serve bites of investment advice that are both personal and practical. Hey, Nick, how are you doing this afternoon? Doing great, Dave. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So uh, it's been uh, it's been 12 months. Yeah, crazy, right? 12 months. Yeah, not 12 months uh, for anything in particular other than, you know, the global pandemic. Yeah. It's uh, turned everybody's lives sideways for the last uh, 12 months. That's right. And we're still fighting through it. There seems to be a light at the end of the tunnel, but, you know, we still got a ways to go for sure. Yeah, the last uh, few days of uh, news regarding vaccines and uh, the sh- trajectory of infections has been good. And uh, yeah, so it is encouraging. But, uh, you know, we're still uh, still dealing with a lot of question marks and a lot of uh, a lot of people heaval in our daily lives. I'm, I'm excited about today's podcast. We're kind of uh, taking the other side of this and kind of what we learned from COVID and what we learned from uh, living through this pandemic from a financial standpoint. So, you know, just kind of looking at this from the other uh, uh, from the other lens, if you will, and some some of the key lessons and takeaways that we took out of it. Plenty of financial planning lessons over the last 12 months anyway. The, the first one from a financial standpoint is pretty obvious and something we talk about in good times and bad times. But, you know, if ever there was a year when predicting the market was obviously a fool's errand. It was uh, 2020. Yeah, absolutely. From, you know, when to get out to when to get back in. If if I think back to where we stood with some of this stuff and I was thinking of how I would have predicted that, um, I don't think I would have mm-hmm. done very well. <laughs> no, I would have, I would have been wrong. Uh, you know, 345 out of 365 days, I think, if you had asked me what my gut said we should do. Yeah. Which, so I'm, I'm always glad that, uh, that uh, you know, we've got a, a pretty strong philosophy and a pretty strong, you know, theoretical underpinning to what we do. Because if we were going by Dave's gut, it wouldn't have worked out very well in 2020. And it, it generally wouldn't have worked out well a lot of times. Same here. You know, when we think of when we first heard about it, it was just like, oh, it's just another one of those SARS things. It's, you know, right. China. And that really should have been the time we would you would have been getting out of the market. And the bottom, mm-hmm. the pit of despair would have been the time to get back in. And and everybody thought it was only going to continue to get worse from that point. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the the we we reached the pit of despair much faster than we have in other yeah. in, in in other cycles. So everybody thought there was more to come yet. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've said it a lot lately, but, you know, if we had said to people last January or February, you know, we're going to be dealing with a global pandemic all year and the economy is going to be topsy-turvy. Oh, but by the way, the Standard & Poor's 500 is going to be up, you know, 20% at the end of the year. Um, you'd have thought we were certifiable. Yeah. So... <laughs> So, you know, the, the big lesson is uh, don't try to predict, don't t- try to time the market and uh, stick with your philosophy because over time it will work. And as we saw that in 2020 sped up a hundred times because it, it, we, we saw the, the bad side and we saw the good side all at once. So yeah, you Here know, the, the one thing I'll say about it, it was nice of how short-lived it kind of was. And it was a huge drop, you know, 
probably broke some records out there somewhere in, in a lot of different ways, but the rebound was also, the recovery was also very fast. And so just proof that if you kind of, I don't want to say ignore it is the right word, but just, you know, mm-hmm. stick to your guns and, and have that plan and make those decisions before it happens and don't alter things drastically when it is happening. Um, you're going to be in a lot better place and you're going to get through a lot of things that um, you might not have gotten, you know, time, timing the market would not have helped. Let's put it that way. Point number two on the uh, list of financial lessons is understand your risk tolerance. March of 2020 was not the time to sit back and think about how much risk you were taking in your portfolio, right? Wait, yeah, way too late at that point. Right. The, the, time to, the time to make those decisions would have been January of 2020 or, you know, now would not be a bad time to reassess. You know, a lot of times, especially with, with newer investors, you know, if, if folks hadn't been through the, 20, the 2008, 2009 cycle, I've always thought asking somebody who hadn't been through that kind of thing what their risk tolerance is is kind of like asking a private in boot camp if they're brave. Yeah. Until uh, until they've actually you know been in combat and been in the trenches, they really don't know how brave they are or how they're going to react. Right. And until you've watched your uh, until you've watched your hard-earned savings plummet twenty-five percent in in a matter of weeks, you really don't know what it's going to do to you emotionally. But now we've kind of been through that. And now's a good time to like sit back and say, yeah, you know, it was ugly. It was brutal, but I can, I can make it through that and can make it through that again. Or boy, I was really close to throwing in the towel and I, I just can't go through that again, whatever the answer is, you know, and it, and it should always be done in the context of what you need to take as far as risks, but assess it when it's, when times are better, not in the middle of the problem. And that's really a great point because it goes along with the lifelong investment philosophy of buy low and sell high. Right. And so if you're worried that you're over risked or you have too much equity or risk in your portfolio, now's a great time to do that because things are going really well. And so de-risking would make a lot of sense because you're selling to some degree at a high point where March April would not have been a great point because you're, it's kind of too late at that point. You're selling at a low point if you're reassessing that risk. And not to say you shouldn't do it at that point if you haven't done it at all, because nobody knows of the direction in March and April, but you would have been much better off doing it in January than you, or now than you would have during the bottom. And in kind of the, uh, the cousin of that point that, that I would make as our, our next lesson was, one thing I, I guess maybe this is more like from the advisor's point of view. One thing I learned over the course of last spring was that a lot of people learned hard lessons in 2008 and 2009 and were able to keep it together this time around a little bit better. You know, I remember phone calls in 2008 and 2009 with clients and, you know, back in, in March of 2020, I was kind of expecting a lot more of the same and I'd call people and expecting the worst. And instead I got, you know, we're more worried about the the health situation. The markets will be fine. We'll be fine. We're not worried about that right now. Yeah. So I think that's probably a combination of a couple of things, right? That's probably a combination of there's a global pandemic going on. Maybe investments <laughs> are the most important thing as opposed to a financial crisis, which is all about finances. 
Um, but I, I think also for our clients, we have these conversations on a regular basis. So they know what their risk is and we're trying to prepare them. Hey, this is your portfolio as it's constructed. If things go terribly wrong, this is what it's going to look like. And so I would urge that for all investors to take that and not just percentages, but dollar amounts, because if your mind hasn't been there, you don't, you know, it's much right. easier if you know, okay, I could lose potentially, you know, 20% of my portfolio. So if I've got a million dollars, that's $200,000. And if you have those numbers in your mind and you're not surprised by them, it's much easier to be patient and calm than if you you haven't gone through and done those exercises of what your risk level is and what that really means in dollar terms. And, you know, one, a good exercise in that regard is to, is to look at that dollar amount, look at, look at the percentage, look at the dollar amount, look back at, look back at what your portfolio would have done during 2008 and 2009 is still, you know, my favorite period to look at for these things. Look at how your asset allocation would have behaved during that time, but also look at what would have happened in 20, later 2009 and 2010 and 2011. And I, cause I think people lose, lose sight of that. I'll still hear people say, I lost everything during 2009 and they don't realize they had made it all back within 18, 24 months if they hadn't done anything different. Right. You know? Yeah. And that's, that's, that's an important point. And, and, you know, it kind of frames that reference of, yes, I may, you know, my portfolio may drop by X dollars during, during a period like that, but by, by doing nothing and just being smart about it, I'd be back whole within, you know, a reasonable amount of time, whatever that would be for your particular portfolio. I think, I think people that we've shown those numbers to are actually pleasantly surprised that, oh, you know, that's not too bad. I could, I could sit it out for, 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 you know, 13 months or 14 months or whatever it needs to be. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, and to some degree, I feel like our clients get a little bit annoyed with us continually <laughs> having a risk conversation, but this is exactly right. why, because well, we don't know when it's going to happen and we want them to be prepared. Well, I'd, I'd a lot rather have that conversation now, back to the point we were talking about a few minutes ago. I'd a lot rather have that talk now than be on the phone in the middle of a, you know, downslide that's been going on for three weeks trying to figure out if it's going to keep going or, or, or stop. Yeah, absolutely. So, so speaking of, speaking of things we talk about all the time, all of this is so much easier if you have an emergency fund, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, it's the (laughs) most boring financial tool, but man, is it probably the most important or at least very, or at least up there, you know, to have cash to get you through times like this is, yeah can't be understated. Yeah. yeah. It's a, uh, it's a whole different conversation when, um, you know, several months worth of spending needs are covered in safe investments that you can get at. And that's particularly true. I think that was highlighted for our clients that are still working mm. that, you know, and knock on wood. And luckily, you know, we didn't have too many who were dealing with layoffs last spring and summer, but yeah. you know, it's, it's going to be the same time that the market goes down. It's going to be the same time that you have to worry about whether your job's going to be there for you. And, you know, knowing that money is there and in the bank and safe is what lets you ignore the portfolio and concentrate on what's important. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's and and we tell people this a lot, but it's so much easier, even if you're a little bit more conservative to put money in after the fact than it is to take it out if you weren't Mm -hmm. conservative enough. And, 
it also gives you the opportunity in a March, April, if you've got some extra cash to to put it take in advantage. to make a contribution and take advantage of, of the valuations back then. And when we right. did have some clients that were lucky enough to be able to do that. That's right. That's right. And uh, that was perhaps, you know, the buying opportunity of, of well, I don't want to say of a lifetime, but, uh, you know. Hopefully the decade, right? <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> Right. I like buying opportunities. I just don't like the uh, the rest that goes with it. Yeah. One of the more interesting things that came out of the last 12 months that's that I think is a is a is a good thing is seeing people really be able to focus on aligning their spending goals with what they really value. And you know, and and not to get too philosophical if you will but basically the world was put on pause and everybody had right. to kind of take that silence and think about you know what am i spending money on what's important to me when all of a sudden you can't spend it on anything you realize what you miss and what you don't miss yeah for sure and we've both seen clients go through traumatic experiences um either a really serious health scare for themselves or a loved one or a premature death in the family mm. that tends to have that mechanism of refocusing how you're using your money and what's important. And in a way, you know, again, knock on wood, and most of our clients came through the last 12 months, you know, physically unscathed. In a way, it was almost like a vaccine. Like the, the experience was almost a vaccine in a way that it provided us that exposure to what it might be like. Right. And, and, you know, I, and I think I, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago on this same podcast, but, you know, one thing that I had always kind of felt a little funny about was how much we spend eating out. Right. And, yeah. and then you, all of a sudden you can't do it and you realize uh, that's something you miss and something that maybe it is worth spending the money on. There's plenty of other things that I haven't been able to do in the last 12 months that I don't need to do anymore. Yeah. And I think talking to friends that had long commutes and did a lot of, uh, spent a lot of car time and then had to work from home all of a sudden, they're going to have a hard time going back to those long commutes. And fortunately, I think we're seeing a lot of employers wrap their heads around the idea that, that, you know, maybe they don't want to go back to exactly the way things were done. Yeah. The, the five day nine to five in the office is probably a thing of the past. You know, I don't see that coming back to, you know, to most industries where you're going into the office every day, five, six days a week. So um, that'll be interesting. But, and I think, you know, to your point, now is the time when you're realizing these things and how important they are is to make those changes because as the vaccine rolls out and as the world gets back to, the new normal, you know, things are going to pick up and they're going to be fast. And if you don't mm-hmm. make those changes to your budget, to your plan, um, it'll, everything will just go back to normal. And so take right. advantage right. of that You'll pause and those insights to, to really kind of re realign. And then the, uh, the last item we had down is to, you know, be mindful of your physical and mental health and treat it like an asset, like you would money in the bank. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and this is one that I'm passionate about in terms of, you know, both those things, physical and and mental health. And and if you think about what happened to the health industry, we've got this situation where, you know, they were bombarded with the COVID-19 pandemic and had to change everything they were doing, but they weren't profitable doing it. So, you know, nor in a normal industry, when you have an influx of new people, you get excited about it, right? But <laughs> <laughs> right. probably not what was going on at hospitals around the country right. because 
you know, the COVID-19 is not profitable for them and it caused them to pause a lot of the things that are. And so that's going to have right. a major impact down the road on healthcare and probably specifically healthcare expenses. And the other thing to think about too is, you know, the majority of the complications were due to pre-existing health conditions. And so, mm -hmm. you know, value, valuing your health, both mental and physical is really the best way to combat expenses when it comes to health and your finances. Yeah. And, you know, interesting things along those lines too. And I, I should have written this down or I should have thought about it, you know, an hour ago and gone back and gotten the statistics, but I saw something last week about the huge rise in physical therapy mm. over the last year yeah. because people, people are working from home and they're sitting in funny positions on their couches with their laptops up on their knees instead of, you know, being, sitting upright in a, in a office chair, or they're sitting in that office chair a lot longer than they normally would have. Sure. You know, uh, working from home has not been, uh, helpful from a, uh, from the, uh, outlook of our joints and, uh, our, our knees and our backs. So, and, and not to mention that if you're not commuting, you're not getting up and walking into the office. And if you're not leaving right. the house, you know, that you can really, you really have to find something, you know, right. some sort of exercise, the gyms were all closed for a long time and, and remain right. somewhat closed. And so you really have to make right. that a priority um, because that's going to have a big impact on your, you know, it's one your health is your, one of your most important assets. Um, and, and really you have a lot of control over that. And so just making right. sure you're kind of figuring out what works for you and, and making that a commitment because from a financial planning standpoint, we try to predict expenses and we try to predict those things, but it's extremely difficult to do in that realm of health insurance and health care yeah. costs. Yeah. Well, and, and um, kind of like saving for retirement while you're working, you know, keeping your body in healthful condition when you're 40 or 50 can make a big difference when you're 70 or 80. Right. Potentially. Yeah, much, much so. easier than trying to save extra money to, <laughs> to pay for those increased costs. To pay for those costs. <laughs> much right. easier to go out right. and do the simple free things like, you know, exercise and mindfulness and all that stuff. So, yeah, those were our big uh, takeaways over the last 12 months as they apply to financial planning. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, we won't be here in uh, March of 22, you know, having a similar conversation. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think there's light on the horizon and uh, heading in the right direction. Yeah, lots of good lessons, um, lots of things to take away from this. And uh, clearly, obviously, we wouldn't want to go through it again to have these lessons. But, you know, here we, we're, we are where we are. And so learning from them has been uh, is the, and moving forward is the best thing that we can do from this point. Well, Nick, as always, it's, uh, it's good to talk to you and uh, we'll be back next week with another topic. Been a pleasure. Gather around and follow the Kitchen Table Finance Podcast to learn about money and simple ways you can invest right now. You can find more practical advice at srbadvisors.com and contact the team for personal planning by emailing info at srbadvisors.com.